Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thanks so much for gathering here this morning. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July. Thanks for bringing the church into this sanctuary. Uh, if you're gathered for Cross Point at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room, dining room, wherever you happen to be uh, tuning in from. A uh, couple things uh, before we get started. We got a brand new series that we're starting uh, this morning that will carry us for over the next uh, six weeks before our fall kickoff. And I'll explain that more in a moment. But uh, a couple of housekeeping things. For one, uh, elementary kids are here in the service. So welcome elementary kids. Glad to have you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us old people. So we're glad to, to have y'all. Um, also, uh, that 4th of July uh, storm, uh, the pre-fireworks storm, it knocked out several things um, around the, the church campus uh, that we came back to on, on Wednesday. Um, so if you're wondering like why the TVs aren't working out there, uh, yeah, apparently something with, with the storm. Uh, air conditioning wasn't working in here until a couple of days ago, so you're welcome. Um, so that is uh, back up and running, thankfully. So uh, there's little things that were like, oh, that got knocked. Anyway, so uh, thanks for bearing with us. We think we've got most of the big things at least uh, back in, uh, you know, operating and all that. All right. Um, well, this morning uh, we start this new series that's gonna be a journey through several Psalms. We're gonna look at a different Psalm uh, each week in this series called Peaks and valleys. And the reality of this, not only this series, but just life in general, right, is this, you know it if you've been alive for more than 10 minutes, right, that there are things that you're probably even bringing in right now that you're like, man, that that thing was good. And I, I'm thankful for that. And I'm celebrating that. And some some things that you're just like, wow, that was that went better than I thought. And then there are also the, those things that you're like, that went nothing like I expected. I had plans, I had hopes, I had, I had dreams, expectations about something. It could be a relationship, it could be a job, it could be your health, right? And you're like, now I'm facing something that I never expected to face. And so you go from the highest of highs, a peak down into the valley, and then everywhere in between. And the Bible, one of the things I love about the Bible is just how honest it is about the reality of the human condition. And in particular, I think if you were to zero in on like, okay, but where can you go that just best depicts like what we feel as humans? It's the poetry, it's the songs that we find in the book of Psalms. These 150 Psalms that were given speak to the reality of what we feel and experience. And so there's these just deep places of resonance. And I hope is, that you will find that as we journey together over the next six weeks. And we look at several Psalms, some that will point us to and help us celebrate the things that are going on in life that we're like, man, we give praise to God for that. And also, if you didn't know this, there are more Psalms of lament than any type of Psalm that we get. Meaning there's an honesty about the brokenness, the pain, the chaos that's not just out there, but it's, it's like in our hearts and our minds. It's what keeps us up late at night the things that weigh heavy on us. Um, and the Psalms are really this invitation and some of the laments that we'll look at as well of like, how do we still praise God in the midst of the trials and the difficulty? And so to begin our series th this morning, we're gonna look at a, a Psalm that um, I've never had the opportunity to preach before, but it's been a favorite Psalm of mine. We're gonna sing a song uh, in a little while as well that's based on this particular Psalm. I'm so excited just to dive into it. It's Psalm 46. And so I wanna encourage you to have God's word in front of you. So if you brought a Bible, please turn to Psalm 46. There are Bibles in the pews this morning. You can turn there. You can also scan the QR code or go to thisiscp.church and click that little uh, foot, that little next steps icon, and uh, it'll bring up a menu where you can click sermon notes. And so the text will be there as well as um, any of the things I put up on the, on the slides this morning, some space to, 
to take notes. But if you're able and willing, would you stand with me as I read Psalm 46? This is God's word for us this morning. We begin this series. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse eight, so come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we get into this series and as we heard this particular Psalm read, I mean, there's, there's imagery around nature that the psalmist use, all right? He speaks of what's happening with the chaotic waters. He's, he's speaking of even the mountains beginning to tremble as the waters begin to rise. And it had me thinking about just storms that we all endure, um, even just the physical, like the storms out in nature. And so I wanted to ask you a, a question. Um, uh, I realize this is a monologue, but you can think about this, right? Like what's the, what's the worst storm that you've ever been in? And if we had time to, to sit down and, and to chat over coffee, I'm sure you have some story. I'm sure there's something that comes to mind, right? It may have been something in recent past. If you're somebody that has spent a bit of time in Florida, it might be related to a hurricane. It may be something that happened many, many years ago when you were a young child and yet you can like that sort of be taken back to that spot in time and you remember the sights and the sounds and, and the, the smells and you remember like where you were. I can think of certainly living through hurricanes and our firstborn, I think it was about six months old when Hurricane Charlie came through and trying to like get out of the neighborhood with all the down trees and down power lines and trying to hike out of the neighborhood. But the one that came to mind for me most poignantly was, and perhaps because it was a 4th of July storm. Um, and so maybe I was just thinking about that th this past week, but uh, my wife and I, we had been married about a year um, and we were living outside of Chicago. And summer's up in the Midwest. I don't think it gets any better. Um, and so we were, we were enjoying uh, summer and we were enjoying that, that time and had some friends in the area. And we all decided to go for the 4th of July celebration, the fireworks to downtown Chicago. And the best way to get downtown Chicago from where we were is not to try and figure out parking, is you take the train, a lot of public transportation, into the city. And so we took the train in that day with, with some friends, made our way over to Grant Park, um, and there was music going, there's all these food vendors. And so you're just taking in, right? The, the sights and the smells, you're enjoying good food and good company. You're crowded. Like there's literally just masses of humanity, like everywhere that you look right there near the shores of Lake Michigan. And just spending the day together, waiting till the sun would go down and the sky would darken and we would get to behold the fireworks display out over, shot out over Lake Michigan. So anticipating this wonderful day. Now, 
if I'd been married for about a year, that means this is over 25 years ago. Um, and so that means like maybe the elite of society at that time had cell phones and they were about this large, right? And you carry them with you, uh, but nobody had those. Um, and in fact, even those that had a cell phone certainly didn't have access to the internet. So there was nothing that was telling you like, light showers are beginning in three minutes. It'll be a light drizzle, right? You didn't have any of those notifications. So we are all just out kind of thinking we're living our best life, right? We're just enjoying the day. Fourth of July, everybody's got the day off from work there in Grant Park, right? Just looking out over the, the city. It's just this wonderful time. And then seemingly out of nowhere, um, it's one of those moments, and maybe you've been outside when a big storm is ready to hit, and you just start to feel like a different energy in the air, right? And there's a bit of a, a cool breeze that precedes this storm. And I remember looking up and just seeing like, oh, is the sky normally that pukish yellow green color, right? Like, it's just like, what in the world is happening? And these clouds are moving in at this like really fast rate. And before we knew it, as everybody's trying to scramble to figure out what to do, just like the heavens just like unleashed and it's downpouring, all right? And you can see the bands that are playing in Grant Park. They're scrambling, trying to cover up all the equipment. The food vendors like are literally having stuff just blow away because the wind has picked up now. There's thunder and lightning and it is just a chaotic scene. We have nowhere to go. We have no vehicle to run back to, to try and wait out the storm. And with the tens of thousands of other people that had taken the trains in from various parts of the surrounding areas, we're all making a mad dash, trying to run back toward the train station. So we're there, full out sprint, right? And I'm trying to make sure I'm like, you know, uh, don't lose uh, my new bride of, of one year. She's probably she's probably outrunning me at this point, let's be honest. But anyway, um, uh, so we're trying to, to do that and it's just chaotic. People are screaming, people are crying, except for the one dude standing on the street corner just going, ah, God, take me now. I'm like, shut up, man. Like, oh, let's go. Um, and so we make this mad dash and we finally get to the train station and thinking like, okay, we can just breathe, right? The chaos, we literally, I remember looking up and saying, oh, that's lightning hitting the Sears Tower. Like it was like that level of intense, all right? Um, that's not pastor exaggeration. That actually did happen, all right? Um, and so we get into the train station, but it is then not a reprieve, but one of the most chaotic scenes I've ever seen. As you can imagine, lots of people now in a tight space, soaking wet, some who've had some different beverages throughout the day that are not in their right mind, all right? Um, and now we're all gathered together in this spot. And being one of the taller people in the crowd, along with a couple other friends of mine that we play basketball together, so we're like the tall guys there. We remember looking out and kind of above the crowd and being like, oh, that doesn't look good. And within a matter of moments, this kind of circle began to spread and kind of like this wave as one guy starts yelling at another guy and a fight begins to break out. And now there's people encouraging this fight and yelling and egging them on. And it's just, we're like, just can we get on the train? Can we get out of here. And that, that feeling of like the plans that we had, all right, this joyful day and all of this, it's now completely unraveled and everything feels unsafe. There's no joy. There's just this panic that's set in. And we're seeing some of like the worst of humanity exhibited, right? Nobody's looking out for one another and everybody's just miserable. And that storm, right? This physical thing that we, we lived through, this, this storm that occurred out in nature, I wish we could say, all right, well, that just happens out there. But the reality is that sort of storm pales in comparison to what the psalmist is inviting us to consider about the storms that we actually face in life. The ways that there's chaos seems to be reigning, that there's an unraveling. 
heard one scholar this week, I was reading his commentary, spoke of it as this uncreation, that God takes things from darkness and chaos and the storm and he fashions into something inhabitable and beautiful and harmonious. But in this world of brokenness, there's an uncreation. It's like things begin to be like undone. And my guess is if we could sit down and talk about the worst storm of your life, yes, you could probably talk about the hurricanes or the tornadoes or the thunderstorms. But if we were really being honest and wanted to have that honest conversation, it would be, what's the storms in the past? Perhaps what storm are you in right now? What feels overwhelming? Where do you feel the chaotic waters rising up? And this Psalm, friends, is gonna help us. It's gonna help point us to what is true about how we can navigate this, what it looks like. And so I wanna look, again, I told you the Psalms are so honest. Let's, let's look at the chaos and then we'll see the, the confidence that we can actually have in the midst of the chaos. It doesn't mean it goes away. And then what ultimately is our calling, but we gotta look first and we gotta assess the situation. We gotta go where the psalmist takes us about this chaos that is referred to in the first three verses. It's really throughout, but a picture is painted very profoundly in the opening verses. And it begins though, by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so yes, it's gonna speak in a moment of the chaos and the storm and all of that, but the psalmist does what all of us need. It's what's so important about this time. I, I harp on this a lot, but it's, it's true. It's like, I need you to remind me that God is a refuge and strength. You need the people next to you, in front of you, behind you to remind you that God is our refuge and strength. Like we need songs to sing together and communion to participate in together and praying together and sitting under God's word because all week long, I've been tempted to forget it. And so there's this call right out of the gate God is our refuge and strength. And then this line here is so beautiful, a very present help. In what? In trouble. There is trouble. We're not in denial of that. We're not burying our head in the sand and saying, no, I'm a Christian now. Everything's great. Somebody sold you that. That's not, they lied to you, right? But there's this call, okay, in trouble. He's a very present help. Not just someday off in the future, though that's true, but like right here, right now, do you know that? And then perhaps in your Bible, you might have a little footnote uh, by that. And I love this. There's another way to translate that where it says a very present help in trouble. It also can be translated this or a well-proved help in trouble. A well-proved meaning God has brought you through storms before. You might be in the midst of the worst one you've ever faced, but know this, that God, as we will see over and over again in the Psalm, we are reminded that he is with us and he is a well-proved this is not his first rodeo. This is not the first time he's encountered something. God is never shaking, quaking and being like, oh no, what am I going to do? Like it's well-proved. He has proven himself faithful time and time again. And so part of our opportunity as the church even is to look back and to see that and to celebrate that. And so ask yourself as we move through this, do you believe that God is that present help? Call to mind the ways that he has been well-proved in his help towards you which doesn't mean the pain isn't real that you're experiencing right now, but rather you're not alone in it. Then he continues verses two to three. We hear this storm spoken of, right? As he's talking about what's swirling around. Therefore, in light of this truth, though, the truth of who God is, is our strength, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, feels very destabilizing, like that the ground beneath you is like giving way. Perhaps like if you've lived through an earthquake before, you've seen that happen, right? The earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. They're in the chaotic waters, right? 
It'd be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters, they roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Like most of us would think, right? Hey, if the water is beginning to rise, you gotta get to the high spot, like get to the mountain. That's the place of safety. And yet this storm is so intense that it tells us the mountains, I have some feelings about it, right? That the mountains are experiencing something. The mountains tremble at its swelling. So this huge mountain, this huge rock formation, this place of usual like safety and refuge is looking at the waters rising and the foam and the spray and the loudness and the way that it's increasing. And it says beginning to tremble. That's the level that this storm is spoken of. And maybe you feel that right now. You're like, yeah, I, I kind of did my normal things. I, I went to the, the things that I normally go to for some reprieve, some help, but man, the waters are continuing to rise. And I actually like, it, you're worried like that you're gonna drown in it. You're identifying with the mountains in this spot. And so the question becomes, as we remember, Psalm 46, right? Like we're doing it as like, well, it's part of a sermon series now and we're gonna read this and then we're gonna preach it. That's not how these originally were done. These were the hymn book, right? This was the songs that were sung by the people of God. And so Psalm 46 would have been sung by God's people. In fact, down through the ages, that has been a regular practice. The great hymn by Martin Luther, Mighty Fortress is Our God. Perhaps you're familiar with that one. It's based off of Psalm 46. The story is told that, Martin Luther himself, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, right? Who basically says, yeah, I'll, I'll take on the Pope, all right? I'll take on the whole Catholic church. Like I believe like, no, we are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, right? It's nothing to do with our works at all. He nails the 95 theses to the, the door in Wittenberg. Like he does all of these things. So he had this boldness. There was nothing that was shy about Martin Luther, all right? He wasn't cowering in fear. And yet, because he's human, he would have those days, like all of us do, of like, how is this gonna work out? In the midst of the Protestant Reformation, when he wondered, would he be put to death? Would he be exiled forever? One of his good friends, another theologian, Philip Melanchthon, here's what he would often say. Apparently this became a regular, if not a daily practice. He would turn to his friend Philip as they were hanging out and they're trying to lead this movement of God of which we are all the beneficiaries of. And he would say these words to his friend Philip, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. In that place of desperation, in that place of not knowing how this is gonna turn out, feeling the storm, feeling the waters rise. It's said that often those who are being exiled for their beliefs, their participation in the Protestant Reformation, even those who would be martyred for their faith as they were being led away to be executed, as the waters were literally rising on them. One of the most repeated songs that were sung was Psalm 46. And so it has been this gift of the Lord to acknowledge, yes, there's real pain and there's real hardship, there's real chaos. But I want us to consider how could we, like Martin Luther here, sing in the midst of a storm? He's not singing because everything's going, oh, amazingly well and there's no issues. But what would it look like to sing? How could we have the confidence to sing? And there's some beautiful things that the psalmist lays out for us in verses four, through seven. Look with me here. This is what speaks of the confidence that we can have, how we can actually sing. And so as we look back over these verses, verse four says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. 
What we need to see is we'll talk about the river in just a moment, some of the other imagery that's used here. But the psalmist says there's a city of God and he's reminding himself, he's reminding God's people. God is using this psalm to remind his people, hey, you belong to the city of God. It says this, the holy habitation of the most high, that the city of God has the Lord's presence there. That's the city that you belong to. And yes, there's storms and yes, there will be trembling and yes, the waters are seemingly rising, but know this, you're not part of the city of man. You're not part of the kingdom of man. You've been brought, you've been rescued out of that and you've been made a citizen now of this kingdom. You're part of the city of God. And so we live in this tension as we even looked at through First Thessalonians over the past several weeks together of this things that, things that are already true, but not yet. And so we, we feel the effects of the city of man in this kingdom of man. But friends, you, if you're in Christ, you are a citizen of a whole new kingdom, of a whole new city. You are in the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. Nobody is higher than him. Nobody has more strength than him. Nobody has more power than him. And he is there and he is with you in whatever storm that you're facing. And so right out of the gate, the psalmist wants us to know, hey, we're not talking about the normal habitation. You're in the city of God. Do you know that? That there's nothing about your circumstances right now that can touch that, that can change that. You, if you're in Christ, are forever part of the city of God. And the city of God, it is expanding. God is on the move. And as I read a moment ago, verse four then says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So there's this movement from like the chaotic waters that bring destruction and death to now we're talking about these streams, this river of water, this river of life that apparently everywhere it goes, it brings particular blessing. There's a river whose streams, they make glad the city of God, that the inhabitants of this city, we get to partake in that. And this is a loaded word and image. We don't have time to unpack all of it, but just know this. It's a way to speak about what is actually most true. For those of us that are in the city of God, like, to be in a city, right, back then and have an uh, invading army, an invading nation come against you, like laying siege against you, trying to break down your walls, if they could cut off a water supply, they knew it was only a matter of time before you were dead and gone and you would be conquered. But if within the city walls, if you had access to clean, flowing, fresh water, you could thrive, you could survive, there could be a flourishing, you could continue to fight back. That, that's the imagery that's being used here, that there's this water supply that is ever present and that you have access to. It's there in the city of God and it makes glad those who are in the city of God because the city of God is what? It's where the most high dwells. And so if we think about the storyline of scriptures, where did God dwell? God dwelled with his people in what is really the original temple is the garden of Eden. And in the garden of Eden, so this is taking us back this idea of the river, but it's also propelling us forward. So it takes us back to like, oh, where did we enjoy the presence of God before the storms, before the chaotic waters, where all those things were put at bay and God you know, had everything the way he designed it to be? Well, it's in Eden, walking with God in the, the cool of the day in the garden, Adam and Eve. And it tells us in Genesis 2.10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers, not the barbecue place, but you know, anyway, um, uh, a river flowed out of Eden right now. We're all hungry. Let's just wrap this up. Anyway, all right. So uh, a river flowed and it's taking us back and saying, hey, the presence of God there, there's significance to this. 
but it also propels us ahead by saying, oh, do you know that there's a promise that one day a river will flow from the steps of the temple? The prophet Ezekiel gets this vision and he begins to record this vision of what happens when the water flowing out of the temple, where the habitation of the most high God is and what it does and the, the flourishing and the healing that it brings. This is why Ezekiel would write in Ezekiel 46, verses six to nine, and we'll look at verse 12 as well. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. So he, the prophet's being led. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river, very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the Eastern region. It goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. How about a powerful river? Like it goes in and the ocean, the salt water, the seas is now made fresh. It continues and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And then in verse 12, we drop down, it says, and on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves, they will not wither. They're always green, they're always producing, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from what? From the sanctuary. This is not a normal source. It's from the very presence of God. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is the imagery that John picks up on as he's given this vision at the end of the book of Revelation speaks of this scene that Ezekiel spoke about. It's why Jesus comes on the scene in John chapter seven and says, come to me all who thirst. And he speaks of the time when those who believe in him from their hearts would flow these living waters. And it's, it tells us there, John gives this little sidebar, this, this note that like he's speaking of when the Holy Spirit would come, where there's this whole new reality that we live in. And now what the prophets long for, we know that there is this river, there's the water of God that we, with our thirst, we're not gonna be consumed by this water, the chaotic waters. No, God holds that at bay. And Jesus is this living water from which we can drink deeply. And it's a picture here of how when that goes out, when the gospel goes out and we begin to drink from that, it brings healing, as it says, to the nations. It's God's original promise to Abraham that he's gonna raise up a people to be a blessing to all the nations, that God's gonna make wars end. He's gonna calm the storms. He speaks and things happen. Friends, this is all telling you, you're part of that city. Like those, that's your God. These are your people. That's where you belong. Do not be defined by the circumstances as painful as they might be, as hard as they might be. Part of what you're doing right now is just being reminded in God's grace and his kindness. Like it's no accident that you're here on this day to hear this text. We all need to be reminded of this. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. I told you these verses here are loaded. There's the imagery of the river, but there's also these words here when it says, when morning dawns, this is what's so cool about the Bible, all right? Like, it's just very cool. You should read it, all right? It's amazing. Um, and what it does is it's always telling this one story and there's little clues and things that hearken us. They take us back to other times. So for those that would have sung Psalm 46, many of them would have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy committed to memory. And they would have actually known when they hear, when they sung, when morning dawns, a little light bulb likely would have went off and would have been like, oh, I've heard those words before. I've heard that phrase before. That takes me back to part of our history. And friends, 
The history is God's liberation of his people out of Egypt. Do you remember this? Where God delivers his people and then his people stand on the banks of what? Of the chaotic waters of the Red Sea. And they're like, okay, I guess he's brought us out here to die. And they begin to grumble and to complain because they're so different from us, right? And it's like, oh, he's just rescued us. He's just liberated us. But now we're not gonna believe that he's gonna continue. And God tells them to stand back and to watch. And you know the story, right? The, The waters of the sea are parted and God's people walk across to the other side. But that's not the end of the story. God's gonna do something more with the water. God's gonna bring deliverance. God's gonna bring judgment upon his enemies. And so he tells Moses in the book of Exodus to stretch out your hand and that the waters would then come back and they would cover the horse and the rider, right? The armies of Pharaoh. And that line there, when morning dawns, its equivalent shows up in Exodus chapter 14. Hear this account. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. God is saying, hey, I'm in charge of the chaotic waters. Do not fear, right? You've got nothing to fear here. And then verse 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, there's that line. When the morning dawns or when the morning appeared and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Psalm 46 is telling us the Lord is sovereign over the waters of chaos and he can use them He can bring judgment where he needs to bring judgment. He is bringing God's people. It's the great story of their liberation. In Psalm 46, these particular verses are a reminder for us that in Christ, we are now part of the kingdom of God, the city of God, this citizenship that we have. And he, when the morning dawns, friends, like talking about the ultimate morning dawn, right? like Easter morning and Jesus coming forth out of the tomb, doing away with Satan's sin and death, like conquering it. That's the story that we're part of. And verse six says, so the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. There's gonna be things that are still gonna feel destabilizing. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The voice that spoke, let there be light. And there was light. Who spoke in Genesis one is the same God that is speaking here. And when he speaks, the earth melts. He is completely sovereign. He is in complete control. We are called and we're invited to rest in that. And then verse seven, and this is a refrain that we see in verse seven and in verse 11, but it says this, the Lord of hosts, this sovereign one, the one who's transcendent, who's all powerful, has all might, just know this, he's also close. The Lord is with us. This is why Isaiah, the prophet would speak of one to come as Emmanuel. God with us. This is what we celebrate in the incarnation of Jesus, that God took on flesh and blood, that God moved into the neighborhood, that God is with us, that God is with you in whatever you're facing right now. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you, that he is near you and he is with us. And if you're in him, there's nothing that can cause him to leave. At no point will he hit the eject button and be like, you know what, I, I, you know, I, I thought you were gonna make you know, quicker progress than this and I'm out. He is 100% committed to you, he is with you. And then I love this, the God of Jacob is our fortress. It doesn't just say God is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And if you know the Bible, you know, oh yeah, Jacob is a, is a person of some significance, but please don't make this mistake in thinking that like Jacob must be particularly heroic. 
We say this all the time here, but there's, there's one hero, right? And it's Jesus. And everyone else is a misfit, a mess up, a traitor, all right? A betrayer, a deceiver, all of these things, right? Like you're not the hero. I'm not the hero. David isn't the hero. Moses isn't the hero. Abraham isn't, Isaac isn't, and certainly Jacob isn't. What I love here though, is it says the God of Jacob, God identifies himself like saying, okay, I'm Jacob's God. Jacob, do you, do you remember Jacob's story? Yes, he's used by God in profound ways, certainly. But this is the man who tricked his brother out of his birthright. And this is the man, same man who, when his dad was on his deathbed, who was basically completely blind and couldn't see and had an opportunity to bless what should have been the oldest son, Esau, Jacob sneaks in to secure the blessing of his father. Literally think about that. One of the last memories that Isaac had with his son, Jacob, is being deceived by him. It literally is the equivalent of him cozying up to his dad, right? Like a relative coming in to somebody in the family that's dying and getting them to sign something. And they don't even know what really that they're signing to trick them into changing the will at the last minutes. Talk about deception, trickery, thievery. This is Jacob. And what we're told here, the God of Jacob, the God, the storyline of the Bible is God keeps pursuing. You're in the city of God, not because you're awesome. Jacob's in the city of God, not because he's awesome. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a thief. And God says, those are the people I'm moving towards. And I'm gonna extend my grace toward them. It's the same Jacob who would pronounce, oh, the Lord was in this place. And I didn't know, like God has been with him every step of the way in the storms that he brought about and the storms that he had nothing to do with, God is there with him. And so there's this theme throughout, friends. This is meant to encourage us. When you hear God of Jacob, don't think of him as somebody like, oh, of course God's with him. Like he's heroic. No, no, no. It's meant to clue you in, to clue all of us in. Like, oh, he's there for the mess ups. Maybe a way to think about it is this. He's there for the underdogs, the people that don't have it all together, the ones nobody expects. I've been reading through Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God, and he speaks of this. Hear these words as he speaks of the God of the underdogs. He says, the reason for this persistent storyline in the Bible is not simply because the writers like underdogs. It is because the ultimate example of God's working in the world was Jesus Christ, the only founder of a major religion who died in disgrace, not surrounded by all his loving disciples, but abandoned by everybody whom he cared about, including his father. This is the ultimate underdog story. This is what we're part of. He was a victim of a miscarriage of justice and he died oppressed and helpless. Jesus Christ's salvation comes to us through his poverty, rejection and weakness. And Christians are not saved by summoning up their strength and accomplishing great deeds, but by admitting their weakness and need for a savior. You wanna be part of the city of God? You wanna have that comfort in the midst of storms? Let's keep coming back to this. Like, oh, I am weak. I don't have it all together. Will we, for the first time, surrender to the Lord? If you're not a Christian to do that, but then it's an ongoing, we never move past that. There's this ongoing surrender. Lord, I trust you. You're good. You're sovereign. You're my God. This is put on display. Paul speaks of it in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, not when you had things figured out, not when you'd had a, a good you know, stretch of some spiritual momentum. No, no, like while you're weak at the right time, Christ died for what? For the ungodly, for you and for me. 
And then Paul says, well, for, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. It's like, even if that happens, like, but consider this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how you're part of the city of God. That's how you can have confidence. That's how you, like Martin Luther to his buddy Philip can be like, let's sing the 46th Psalm, right? Because we need to be reminded again and have this confidence and God is our refuge. He is our strength. God is with us. And so friends, in light of this, we'll close with verses eight through 11. It speaks of, okay, what's our calling? What's our response to this? And certainly it includes this singing that we just spoke of. Verse eight says, come, Behold the works of the Lord. It's what we've been doing together even this morning. Yes, it speaks of like into the future, like behold, but it's also about like, what has the Lord done in the past? What is he doing right now? Let's, let's behold the works of the Lord. Let's ask for eyes to actually see how he's at work, how he's brought desolation on the earth. Verse nine says, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Like one day, Jesus is gonna return. There'll be a war to end all wars. Like he is coming in victory. He's riding on a white horse. Like we got nothing to fear. And he's gonna make all wars cease. He's gonna bring about peace, renewal, redemption. He will wipe away every tear. And then verse 10, one of the most repeated commands in the Bible, not to load something up on us, but hear this as a calling, as an invitation from the Lord. He says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Like God is going to get his glory. He's gonna do it in surprising ways. He'll do it through painful ways. He'll do it through our suffering, the things that we would never have invited in, all right? He will be exalted. But the invitation for you and me is this, be still and know that I am God. Friends, in the midst of your storm and the suffering, this isn't a call to passivity. It's not that we're like, oh, well, we just sit back and do nothing, all right? Like as Dallas Willard once said, like grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Like I think there's, there are things that like, okay, how do we get ourselves here to be reminded so we believe and get ourselves in community? Like there's some effort, I get that. But here, the bigger invitation, be still. It's literally an invitation. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. You can stop running. You can stop pretending. You can stop strategizing. The God of the universe has got you. And so what does it look like for a moment, even today to say, Lord, I surrender that biggest, heaviest thing that is on my mind and my heart, the storm that I'm in the midst of, Lord, I'm just gonna try and be still and recognize and remember that you are God. Like this is the God that we worship. He is sovereign over it. I wanna read to you one more Tim Keller quote that I came across years ago. And he's speaking of the vastness of our universe and what's our approach? We either can surrender to the God of the universe, the God that's spoken of here in the Bible, or we can take a posture of like, well, he's here to kind of serve my will. Hear this, all right? And you can try and follow the math and just the vastness of it. And if your brain hurts after reading this, like mine did, it'd be like, well, just welcome. It's trying to describe the incomprehensible that is God. So he says this, think about this. If the distance between the earth, all right, and the sun, 93 million miles, if that was regarded as the thickness of a sheet of paper, all right, so that thickness of a sheet of paper, right, represents 93 million miles, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The distance across the galaxy, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. 
your brain hurt yet, right? Our galaxy is just one little speck of dust in the universe as it is. And if there is a person who holds all that together with the word of his power, his pinky as it were, is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? It's this reminder of like, no, I'm not asking him for my will to be done. This is me saying, I surrender to you. Like, I don't even know how to comprehend this. God, you are big, you are sovereign. Be still and know that I am God. I don't know the particulars of everybody's story, but God knows your story and he knows what you brought in. And he knows you'd be here on this morning to hear this text and this particular calling. What would it look like for a moment to just surrender it and be still and just know that he has God? That doesn't mean there's not gonna be things he's gonna call you to do or that you just get to twiddle your thumb, but, but are you recognizing, listen, God's not here for your will and your purposes. He's gonna get his glory and the invitation. The best place to be is in that spot of, Lord, quiet my heart before you. Help me remember who you are, who I am, that I'm your son, your daughter, and to be still and to know that you are God. And then he ends with this repeated refrain, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. God of Jacob is our fortress. And so I wanna ask you as the worship team comes back up, as we continue to respond in worship, maybe think through this question, what do you need to surrender? I trust that the spirit is bringing something to mind, some situation, some storm, some difficulty, something that you can't quite figure out. And maybe the calling this morning is not for you to try and figure it out, but again, to be still and to rest that he is God and that he will lead you. He will prompt you. He will guide you. He will bring people around you. He's been doing this your whole life. He will continue to do it. He has got you. He is with you. So I wanna pray for us. We're gonna respond through song. I know this could feel uncomfortable too, but friends, like part of our responsibility and great invitation and privilege is like we belong to one another. And so maybe you need to just seek somebody out that, that you know, or even somebody you don't know and like say, hey, can, can you pray for me? Like use this time for that. Use this time to just pray before God or, and quietly or, or not quietly, yell out, surrender to him. We're gonna participate in communion in a few minutes together, all, all of these things. But for now, I wanna pray for us we're gonna sing a song together and then I'll come back up and uh, we'll participate in communion after that. But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us. Thank you that you are God of the, the underdog, the, the people that we don't fit in, we have nothing to offer and you just move toward us. You bring us in and you rescue us. Help us to be still and to know that you are God. Reassure our hearts today, God, that you are with us, that you are for us. May we be reminded through the songs that we sing, through the meal we participate in, and all of it, as we interact with one another, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, remind us of your care for us. God, work for your glory and our joy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.